Well, this morning we're um, continuing on in our series on prayer. And uh, if you've been with us, you'll remember a little bit of the journey that we've been on. We've looked at prayer together and remember we asked, why bother? You know, there are some things you look at and you think it's just too much hard work. And hopefully as we looked at that and we looked at the reasons why prayer is so important, your heart has been gripped with a passion to pray because you know how important it is. Then the second week, we looked at the mystery of prayer unanswered. And we we asked, why is it that it seems that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want him to answer them? And sometimes we just don't know why he doesn't. And we looked at all the different things that can happen as we pray and the mystery of unanswered prayer. Today I want us to discover together how we can pray and when we're facing problems, right in the midst of problems in our lives, maybe facing a mountain before us, maybe it's a sin that seems impossible to overcome, maybe it's just a detestable habit that you have that you can't seem to walk away from or change. Maybe it's a, a character flaw, maybe it's an impossible marriage, maybe it's a situation at work, a decision that seems impossible and you don't know which way to turn in it, how can we pray in the midst when we're facing mountains and uh, cry out to God? You know, one day Jesus was walking with his disciples to Jerusalem and he was hungry and he went to a fig tree uh, to get some fruit from the fig tree. And there were no fruit, there were no figs on the tree. And so he said to the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. And the fig tree, we're told, immediately withered up and died. And the disciples were amazed. Now Jesus here was enacting out a parable. Uh, So like the fig tree that looked good from a distance with great leaves and everything looking so nice, it actually bared no fruit. So when Jesus went to the tree and there was no fruit there as there was supposed to be, Jesus was showing and enacting a parable about the temple and its religious rulers. And they were impressive and the temple was impressive and their rules seemed so impressive and everything they did seemed impressive but they bore no fruit. And so Jesus was showing how much he dislikes it when people look impressive but bear no fruit. It's a challenge to us as Christians, isn't it, today? And what Jesus is saying is that faith and trust should mark our lives, that we shouldn't just say things uh, without actually believing and depending on the God who can do the impossible. Disciples were amazed when they saw this fig tree withered up and they asked, how did this fig tree wither so quickly? And in verse 21 and 22, Jesus told them, I assure you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may God lift you up and throw you into the sea and it will happen. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. According to the Bible, Believers can be confident that their prayers will be answered. Our prayers and more, uh, our prayers that we have are more than just wishes. 
uh, more than hopes and kind of weak aspirations. That they're more than that, but only if we pray with believing, faith-filled hearts. That's the kind of prayer that moves mountains. Prayers full of faith can move mountains. So the big question for you and me to ask today, and many of you are probably asking it already, is how do I have faith like that? How do I have real faith that I can pray to God with? How can I come to God with the kind of faith that can move mountains? Well, Romans 10, 17 says this. It tells us where faith comes from. It says, consequently, Paul says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The word there in the Greek uh, for the word of Christ is the word rima. It's a good word, isn't it? Want to say that together? Rima, rima. And it says that we get faith by listening to the word of God. So if you want to build faith, it's simple. Fill your life with the Bible. If you, if you want to have faith, the more Bible knowledge you have, the more you understand God's word and, and live it and read it and apply it to your life, the more your faith will increase. The less you know about the Bible, the less faith you're going to have. It's a specific kind of word of God. It's the rema when God speaks to us. So how do you pray about problems and difficult decisions? How do you pray when you've got a mountain before you that is in the way? And the keys uh, to prayer and, and prayer that is filled with faith is the promises of God. And the promises of God are found in the Bible. And do you know how many there are? There's over 7,000 promises that God has made in the Bible. He's made them right there. And they're like um, gifts just waiting to be opened, uh, you know, to, for us to be unwrapped. They're promises that God has said he will fulfil, like blank checks almost. Um, and if you want to have a dynamic prayer life, then get to understand the 7,000 plus promises in the Bible that God has. I mean, if you can pray to God and say, you've promised this God and I'm asking for it, what an incredible prayer life you're going to have. The verse, um, there's a verse in the Bible for every need that we have. There's one that can help us in every situation we face. The more promises you know of God's word, the more powerful your prayer will become. So the question is then, why don't the promises always work? Have you found that? Uh, I was reading about a man who was a diabetic and he read the verse, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's John 14 and verse 14. So he said, God, I'm going to ask that you cure my diabetes. And he threw away his insulin and three days later he died. What happened? God promised it, didn't he? Why didn't it work? You know, a friend of mine was a youth pastor and they needed a van for the youth group and he had great faith. And he believed that God would provide. So he went down to the car yard and he picked out the van that he felt God wanted 
him and the youth group to have. And he signed the paperwork for the, for the van. And when it came to the time to hand over the money to the salesman, uh, my friend kind of said uh, to him, do you mind if we just wait a little bit longer? And he just sort of stalled a bit. And the, after waiting for a while, the salesman said, you know, what's going on, mate? He said, well, I'm just waiting for someone to come for the money, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm waiting for God to do a miracle. And you see, what happened is he kept waiting and he kept waiting and, in, and he, he really believed in God's word. After all, God, God said, uh, ask for anything in prayer, doesn't he? And what about Jeremiah 33 and verse 3? It says, call unto me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so my friend prayed and nothing happened. But instead of driving home in this new van for the youth group, he had to call his dad and get him to come and pick him up. What happened? Why didn't it work? Why don't the promises of God always work? Yesterday uh, I was playing golf and everybody else had hit off beautifully and I was feeling the pressure and I prayed, God. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, but it wouldn't have helped, I don't think. The shot was terrible. The factor of the matter is that there is a misconception that people have about the promises of God, and it's, and it's this. You cannot automatically claim a promise that's been given to somebody else in the Bible unless the Holy Spirit gives it to you. You cannot automatically claim a promise that's been given to somebody else in the Bible unless the Holy Spirit gives it to you. You see, to understand what we're talking about today is that you must understand that God speaks in two different ways. He speaks to everybody uh, universally. And God speaks to individuals personally. So he he speaks to individual people uh, specific messages for a specific occasion for a specific time, individually. See, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek there are two terms for uh, the, the word word, the word, and they're logos and rima. And, and the difference between them is, is so whenever you hear the word, uh, the word of God, sometimes it's the logos of God and sometimes it's the rima of God. Uh, The Logos is the word of God to everybody. That's from Genesis to Revelation, right through. I mean, we're talking about here all the uh, Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The whole Logos. Um, It's the second type of word. It's the foundation, the Logos, for the second type of word, the Rima, where... uh, God speaks the word of God to you and to me personally. It's a specific word. It's a promise. It's a, a specific promise for a period of time only. So we can claim a promise when it's a rema to us. It's a specific word to us. I'm going to share that with you. Sarah and Abraham were old in age. They were getting on in years. And one day God came and said to Sarah, he said, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. That's, that's what's going to happen. There's nothing unusual about that uh, promise to her, 
except for the fact that she was 90 years old and her husband was 99 years old. And that's incredible, isn't it, that, that age? And it was a specific word to her. So I want you to know, God didn't say to the whole nation of Israel, every woman when she reaches 90 years of age is going to have a baby. It, it was a specific reamer, a word of God to her and not anybody else, just to her. You see, getting a personal promise of God is the key to miracles happening in your life. It's a key to mountain moving prayer. When God speaks directly to you personally, then you can act on it. Not when he uses it for everyone. Like he used it for that person, so therefore I'm going to claim that promise for me. You know how people say that? This says this in the Bible to that person, so I'm going to claim it to me. That's why when we read John 15 and verse 7, it says, if you continue to abide in my word, then you can ask for whatever you want and it will be yours. If you continue in my rema, it says, not logos. If you continue in my specific word to you, then you can have answered prayer. Remember the story of Peter walking on the water? Peter's out in the boat and uh, all the disciples are there and it's night and Jesus comes walking across the water and Peter says, Lord, uh, you know, call me and I'll come. And Jesus gives Peter a, a rema, specific word to a specific man in a specific situation. And he says, Peter, come on. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking across the water. And uh, I, I want you to uh, notice that no one else was jumping out of the boat to get in. He starts walking across the water. Why? Uh, because it wasn't a word to everybody. It was a word to Peter right there. It wasn't a universal word either. I need to tell you that to not today. So don't go walking across your swimming pools this afternoon. Uh, and Peter never walked on the water again. Like he didn't start to say, let's just do away with the boat, guys. Let's just keep, you know, I'll, I'll walk out and fish from there. Um, don't work on a rema that's been given to somebody else. We get into trouble when we start to try and force God's general promises to everybody and try and make them work for us personally with a promise. Um, when you do that without the Holy Spirit prompting you to do that, it's dangerous. For instance, you know, some people will say they read a verse on healing and they'll say, God healed them, therefore he must heal me. So they pray and they have tremendous faith and say, you know, God, heal me, and nothing happens. So they get mad at God, some people, and say, you know, why didn't you heal me? It's in the Bible. You said so, God, didn't you? You have to do it. Then they argue and get upset. But they didn't have a personal reamer for that particular thing. There's a general word. Um, in order to understand how prayer works, you must understand that God speaks in two ways. He speaks generally and he speaks to everybody at that time. He speaks to everybody using the logos. And he speaks to you personally and to me personally using something that's the rhema. 
And that's how you get answers to prayer. So how does he speak to me personally? How, how does God actually uh, speak to me personally? Well, um, the, the way he does that can be seen in John 14, uh, verse 26. And it says there, um, let me just double check. No, I'm just there. That's all right. Don't worry about that. John 14, 26. Why don't we look that up together, shall we? It's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So it's, it says here in John 14, 26, but when the Father sends the counsellor as my representatives, and by the counsellor I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told to, I, I myself have told you. So the do, job description of the Holy Spirit in this verse says he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything I have told you. And then if you flick across to John 16 and verse 13, it says there, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So in these two verses that we've just read now, it says that the Holy Spirit is to do three things. He's to teach us, he's to remind us, and he's to guide us. And it's the Holy Spirit's job description to make the scriptures apply to you and me personally. So when we read the scriptures and God's word comes out to us, it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to us personally. In other words, he takes the logos, God's word for all of us, and he speaks to us personally, the rema. He changes it. It's called um, illumination. It's called uh, revealing it to us personally. It's his job. It's his duty. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Nothing mystical about what I'm talking about, you know. Um, in fact, I think you recognise it often. Um, it happens all the time. Sometimes you'll be in a service and the preacher will be preaching and he'll be speaking and uh, all of a sudden you feel like the person is speaking directly to you, like they know what's going on in your life. And you'll say, how did they know that I had that problem? Or how did they know that that's what's going on in my life right now? I uh, feel like they're speaking directly to you. Uh, what's happening is the preacher is delivering the Logos, God's word, and, you, and the Holy Spirit takes it and says, right, that's what it means to your life. And wow, the general word that says to everybody comes specifically applying to you. He gave you the rema and the Holy Spirit has been illuminating it. Have you ever been talking to someone, maybe a friend or counselling someone or just talk, you know, opening the Bible with them or, or sharing about spiritual things and all of a sudden someone who's been really stuck, you've shared a verse from the Bible and it's been just the very thing that they've needed. All of a sudden, at just the right time, the scripture that you needed came. How did it happen? God gave you a remit. God, the Holy Spirit reminded you of his word and, and was able to bring it right into that situation. That's the way God works in our lives. It's the way he, 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 the Holy Spirit takes a general word and makes it come alive. It doesn't mean we don't obey every bit of the logos, but sometimes the, the, we've got to obey the Logos all the time. That's God's word. It's always speaking to us and it's the way we live and obey and, and know God's word. And, but when the Holy Spirit takes that and applies it, speaks it to us personally. 
So how do you know when God's giving you these impressions? Well, they'll always agree with the Bible. <laughs> That's for sure. You'll never get a Rema that doesn't match with the Bible because Remas is the Holy Spirit illuminating God's word to you. So if someone ever comes to you and says, I feel like God is telling me to do this sin, which is against God's word, you can just say to them, I know that is not God's spirit speaking to you. It's not a rema. The second thing is when you, how do you kind of know that God's speaking to you? Is that all of a sudden the scripture becomes alive. Uh, it gives you, it takes on new meaning. It kind of uh, grips you. So, for instance, if I was to say to everybody today, church, you know, I love you. I think you're a great church. I, I just love you as a, as a church. And you go, great, you know, and Mandy's down there saying, oh, yeah, big deal. But if I was to come down and to say, no, no, Mandy, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> She's starting to tingle already. <laughs> now, you see, when I told the whole church, it didn't matter much to Mandy. But when I spoke to her specifically, it's incredible. And you know what this was like. Maybe you heard uh, that God loved you over and over again. And maybe it just was like water off a duck's back to you. But then the Holy Spirit took God's word and he spoke to you and he said, I love you. And you're never the same again. God spoke. I love you. I wonder if you've experienced this too when you've been having a quiet time and reading God's word and you might sit down and read a, a verse that you've read over and over again in a situation. Then all of a sudden that same verse that you've read over and over again comes to you and, and the Holy Spirit says, this is for you right at this time, right now. That's a rhema. God's spirit took God's general word, applied to everybody and applied it to you personally in a practical way. So how do we actually get these remas when we're facing mountains? You know, how, how, do we, how do we know, how can we sense God speaking to us and knowing that in the midst of a circumstance that we're in, in the midst of a, of, of a problem that we're facing, in the midst of a relationship breakdown or a sin or, or an overwhelming mountain that's in front of us? Wouldn't it be good to know how we can get that? Well, there's been many times in my life where I've found, uh, faced circumstances which were just overwhelming to me. And uh, here's some of the things that, that I've found in those times to hear what God's saying to me. The first thing is to examine yourself when you're wanting to know what God's saying. You come before him and you confess any known sin in your life. And you say, God, you know, I don't want there to be anything that's blocking our relationship. I want you to take away my sin because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's died and risen again. And I want you to take that away. I don't want there to be anything as I'm coming to seek what you're saying in this situation. So confess it. It's like a, um, asking God to take it away. Look what, look what it says in 1 John one nine. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. It's like a, a washing, a spiritual washing. It takes away our sin. 
And, and we've got to believe that that's what he, what he does when we come and we ask him to take it away through Jesus' death on the cross. Second thing, uh, a part of examining yourself is to uh, wait until your motives are God's motives. As you examine yourself for sin and you say, God, I don't want this, I, I, I want to have a pure heart and a pure life. Then you examine your motives and say, God, this mountain that I've got in front of me, I know what I want, but it might be that your desires are selfish. It might be that your desires are not God's desires. And you might be coming to God saying, I want you to do what I want in the midst of this mountain. So the first thing you know, is to say, not your will, God, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus said this in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I want what you want, God. You know, why do we need to examine our hearts? Because look what Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, sometimes we think we know what's best, but our hearts can deceive us. And so we, we, we come and we say, God, there's two things, two options maybe you, know, you, know, you want. And you say, God, I want to get to the point where I could say yes to both. You know, if it's, if it's keep this mountain here and don't let me go through it. If that's your will, God, I want that. If it's move it and take it away, yes, I, I want that too. I want what your will is. You see how your heart, you're giving him your heart and you're, saying, you're weighing them up. Then, then once you've waited and you've come to a point where you say, I really feel that both of these options are ones that, that I, I would say yes to, ask God for wisdom. Just simply ask him. Say, would you give me wisdom as I'm seeking to know what you're wanting me to do specifically, uh, personally, in my life? Do you know what it says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6? It says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, don't rely on your own understanding. Why? Well, because the heart's deceitful. We know that. Uh, seek his will in all you do, his will, what he wants, and he will direct your paths. What great promises. And James just comes straight out and says, if you need wisdom... If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. Pretty simple, isn't it? Ask him and he will gladly tell you. What a great promise. Do you need wisdom? Well, God says, ask. And so in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your uh, mountain, facing your mountain, ask him for wisdom and he promises to give them to you. You know, the third thing I think is to listen for God to give you a personal promise. Do you know there's so many people who will probably never receive personal promises because they don't spend enough time uh, slowing down to listen. And uh, if a personal promise is a rema that comes from the logos, there are many people that just never spend any time reading God's word. You know, they just skip along the surface and, um, you know, hoping that somehow God's word would just zap into their life and they don't know, know so little about God's word that it's, it's very unlikely that God's going to speak directly from his word and give them a rema. So listen to God, for God to speak to you. Sometimes he speaks directly to you. Um, sometimes it might be in a church service that he speaks to you. I remember being at a worship conference and seeing all these people around me worshipping God with such passion, 
And this is many years ago, and they were just worshipping God, some were kneeling, some were crying, and I felt God deep down inside saying to me, look at these people longing for me. I just felt God saying that. And as I looked, I, 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 I just knew that there was a position for um, a voluntary position um, for music coordinator, Sunday nights coordinator at the church I was at at the time. And they'd advertised for it and no one had, had been willing to accept it. It was voluntary. And uh, I was sitting there in this thing saying, God, if you're saying this to me, you're going to have to speak louder. Like uh, a good faithful uh, boy I was. But the reason I said that was because it just didn't make sense to me. See, I was in the midst of my first year at Bible college and I was doing a Bachelor of Theology and it was just overwhelming the workload for me. I was also in a band and we were making it big, you know. I was going to be a rock star. We're, <laughs> we're a Christian band and we were playing regularly. And uh, so I had this and on that. And on top of that, I'd just been told that the next year coming back to uni uh, to the Bible college, I was going to be the senior student with extra demand. So I had these three things and then here's God saying, uh, these people love me so much and me feeling this might be God saying this about the job. And I said, well, God, look, I'll leave that with you. If, you. if you want to speak to me, you can speak stronger, I know. And so what happened was the very next morning I got a call from Jeff Moore, the youth pastor in the church, and he said, I'm wondering whether you consider taking the position for the Sunday night coordinator. I said, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I asked him, how on earth did you think I could take this position when I, you know he knew what I had on my plate? And he said, uh, he, he said that he knew I wouldn't say yes if God wasn't calling me. So with his help, I continued listening to God. So I, I heard some direct, you know, God speaking directly to me. But he, my youth pastor said to me, why don't you try this? Spend an hour, just spend an hour out in the backyard or out in the bush or something, just quietening down and saying, God, you're here. God, you're with me. Thank you for your presence. Then he said, why don't you then take your Bible and just read for an hour. Pick a, pick a book of the Bible and just read it through with an open heart. Say, God, would you speak to me specifically about what was happening? You know, I did that. And I loved it so much that I kept doing it. Like I did it the next day and I did it the day after. And I was talking to mum just recently. She said, oh, I remember when you were down on that chair out in the garden. She said, before you never come back inside, you know. Because I just loved listening and reading God's word and, I, and, and saying that. And at that time, I just felt completely um, convinced that this is what God was saying to me. He wanted me to do it. So I left the band. Seven years I'd been at the band and just said, that's, the, that's it. I went back to Bible college uh, as one day a week, added to my schedule, and I found out that I'd failed half the subjects in the first year. So now I needed to really trust God. But I went back to the way that he'd spoken to me in my backyard in those times through his word. The specific word, the Logos, became Rima to me, and I knew that God was calling me in that way. So sometimes God speaks directly to you, Sometimes he speaks as you read the Bible. And this is the, this is the main way. You, you, you've got to keep reading God's word. You've got to keep reading it in as many different ways as you can. I mean, uh, right, right now, did you know that if you read for 20 minutes a day, you can read through the New Testament four times in a year? Isn't that incredible? Imagine if you read through the New Testament four times every year, how much you would just know the flow of the books and the Bible. That's just waiting for you, 20 minutes a day. Too busy? 
Isn't that incredible? And then imagine your prayer life as you knew the promises of God, as you took God's logos and you, and you read it and you prayerfully said, God, where are you leading me? God speaks through the Bible and he speaks through circumstances. You know, when you, before we leave the Bible, when you, when you go to the Bible, don't just pick randomly. Do you know there was a guy that did that and uh, he said, God, what's your will today? And he just flicked and opened it came and he read, uh, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> he said, that couldn't be right, God. So he tried again and he opened it again and it said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> he, he shut it again quickly and then he tried a third time and he opened it up and said, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> but, you know, the truth is that's the kind of results you get when you just flick, you know, and you just start, and some of you are kind of, oh, I need an answer from God, I better keep looking. And we're in great danger when we do that. But if you read God's word and if you know God's word, uh, then you can start to hear what he's saying to you. Some of you aren't in a small group and you don't know God's word and this might be what you need to know to get into a small group. I mean, you need to be, if you're studying the Bible with a group of people each week, it will help you grow in your understanding of God's word. Some of you are not spending 20 minutes a day and not knowing God's word. Some of you haven't memorised the scripture before and God's saying, I want to speak to you through my word. But you're not even putting it in there. So mountain moving prayer can happen as you keep uh, reading his word and knowing it. Sometimes he can speak through friends and, uh, and circumstances as well. Um, you know, Kevin Forbes, remember when he spoke just a few weeks ago, he said he was listening to the radio, ABC, and they played Amazing Grace twice in a row. And he who was just about to give up ministry in, in such, you know, horrible circumstances found that just God allowing these two back-to-back, one side of the news, Amazing Grace, turned him around. He said, God, I know that you're wanting me to keep on. And it, and it kept him, and he's still here today keeping on preaching. You know, sometimes a radio station... Can, can speak and that's a great hope for you guys as the radio continues to keep speaking out across this region. Uh, fourthly, the fourth way in which we can get a, a remit is claim the promises of God with confidence. So once you have, uh, you know, once you have actually, you know, examined yourself, once you've asked for wisdom, once you've listened to God and asked for him to give you a personal promises, you've slowed down and taken time to read his word and to listen and say, God, what are you saying to me in that? Then when you sense that he's speaking to you specifically from his word and it matches his word, claim the promise with confidence. Claim it with confidence. You know, James continues on that verse we read earlier in, in, in James 1, chapter uh, verses 5 to 6. He goes, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And then he says, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive an answer from the Lord at all. Why would you spend so much time waiting for God to speak to you if when he does speak to his rema, you don't believe it? So when you're asking, believe that he's going to give it to you. And Hebrews 11.5 says, 11, says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's in the midst of the mountain in front of you. When God speaks to you, hold on to that promise. Grip it with confidence. Claim it. Let, 
believe it. Let God know, I've heard it and I know this is going to happen. You can pray very, very specifically. You can start to thank him when he gives you that rima that what he said to you is going to happen and hold on to it. You can start thinking, thanking him right now before it has even happened once he's given you the word that it is. You know, when we were at school, you had the, the answers at the back of the book and you know how you used to do your questions and then you look at the answers at the back? No, you'd do it the other way around, wouldn't you? You see what the answer is and then you try and see how you keep doing it until you knew you got the right answer. And when God's already told you what the answer is, then you can claim onto that answer and keep on living in that way. That's how prayer works. God says, yes, I'm going to give you the answer and you hold on to it. Uh, um, and fifthly, and this is the final one, move forward in faith when God says go. You know, when you have this promise given to you, when God has spoken his rema to you and you're holding on to it with confidence, then move forward with faith when God says go. Uh, when Mandy and I left our home church to begin ministry elsewhere, we knew, I shared with you a little bit about our process of discerning, but we knew that God had called us to leave, but we didn't know where he'd called us to go. And so we set a date at our church and we set a date of departure. We told the Baptist Union we were seeking a placement in a church and uh, when the date came, Baronia Baptist Church gave us a farewell. It was a big day and everyone was saying, we're going to miss you, we're going to miss you. People were going, where are you going? We said, we don't know. <laughs> But we love you and we feel God's calling us. And they said, see you later. And we finished up without knowing where we were going. And we walked away from this kind of, you know, role of associate pastor without a place. But as we left in faith, God opened up the doors for exactly where he wanted us to go. We believed that that was the right timing. And so we said, uh, said that, that's it, we're going. You know, uh, you, you may have known Rick Warren who wrote The uh, Purpose Driven Life and he's the pastor of Saddleback Church. But you might not know that he, he tried to start another church before he started Saddleback. Three years before he, uh, he tried to start another one. This is what he says. He says, I was in the riverside and God had spoken to my heart that I would start a church. I got the right idea, but I had the wrong time and place. I went to Anaheim Hills and said, that we're going to start a church in a month. I rented Canyon Hills High School and didn't know anybody. I was getting ready about a month before I was going to start. God said, right idea, but wrong place and wrong time. Don't do it because I'm not in it. You know, sometimes God's saying to you, I, this is what I want you to do, but it's not the right time. How do you know it's the right time? Well, it just seems that things seem to fall into place when it's God's timing. Doors open and, and, and God seems to be working. And you can sense that when it's his time. You know, this morning, uh, as, we, as we close, I just sense so many of you are at huge standing before mountains, you know, big, immovable mountains. I just want to encourage you to take some time this week to, to speak to the mountain mover, to, to say, God, what are you saying to me as I face this mountain? Would you speak your rima to me? Would you speak directly from your word? If you are at a point now where you're facing a mountain but you don't know the Bible and you find yourself and you say, gee, I wish I'd been reading the Bible regularly like you're talking about, Jonathan, speak to somebody who does know the Bible. You know, speak to uh, me or, or any of the pastoral team or people who are, are Christians who have been reading their Bibles for a long time. Ask them as you sense what God might be saying to you. Put it through the scriptures. If you don't know this Bible, start reading it regularly uh, today. 
If you want help in that, we've got guides that could help. But as you stand facing your mountain, I just want to let you know that have faith, great faith, that God can move the mountain, that he can uh, take it completely away. You need to cry out to him at this time to see what his remit is to you. And if he's saying that the mountain will be moved, no matter how big that mountain is, you hold on. You hold on with great faith. Because I believe that there are so many mountains that God wants to move as you and I cry out to him with faith. Uh, Some of you might be needing to hear a verse this morning. It's 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 that says, God hasn't hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. As you face the mountain, God doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to be timid. He wants you to trust in him with his power. The mountain-moving God can do it. Let's pray. Oh, God, we're just so thankful that you speak to us through your word. Oh, we love your word. Uh, We just love reading and, and seeing what you're like, God. And as we read, our faith grows. And God, as we stand before mountains, having great faith in you as our God, the one who can move mountains. We just pray that you'll be speaking to us clearly and leading us in the situations where you want to guide us. And God, for the people here this morning that are facing mountains, I pray that you would help them to have courage as they listen and speak to you, as they read your word and as they wrestle with what you're saying might be this morning, uh, God, as, as you people here have your heads bowed, might be that some of you have never really ever given your life to the mountain mover. might be that you've never put your trust in God and said, God, in my situations, would you help me? The only way you can know the mountain mover is through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you now that in the best way that you know how, just to say, God, thank you for being willing to move mountains. And the best way I know how I put my trust in Jesus Christ, to forgive my sins and to give me new life. And if that's you today, just say yes to God. On our blue cards, there's just a spot to tick that you're receiving Christ for the first time. And if you do that, we'll respond to you. God, we love you. And thank you that you want to lead us and guide us. As we go this week, we look at the mountains, but we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.